The scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Because of the way the liturgical year flows, our scripture from last week jumped quite ahead in the transfiguration toward the end of Jesus' ministry. This week, as we enter the first Sunday of Lent, we jump way back through the Gospel of Matthew to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, it is the section, it is this section that takes place right after his baptism. So his ministry had actually not technically started yet. As many of you may remember, we celebrated the baptism of Jesus after Christmas tide and Epiphany. So it seems like it was a while ago, but really, it's only been a few weeks. It is the point in our beautiful story that Jesus comes to the River Jordan and is baptized by John. And through, the hen and through the heavens, God calls out for all to hear that this man is the Son of God. It was John that came out of the wilderness to baptize, and it was Jesus who, after his baptism, returned to the wilderness. Jesus heard what God had said and went into the wilderness alone to pray about it and to get his own mind around it. Based on some other biblical stories that we have in the Gospels, I would imagine Jesus knew that there was something special, a little different about him. But I'm not sure if he realized the full weight of it all until he heard the voice of God himself. The fact that Jesus needed to go into the wilderness to pray alone helps us to understand that while Jesus was indeed fully divine, he was also fully human and needed to process this news. It is in remembrance and recognition of, recognition of Jesus' time in the wilderness that we get the season of Lent. Jesus spent 40 days contemplating and coming to, un, to an understanding of what he was here to do. Thus, the Lent is 40 days minus Sunday. 
And we spend our time in contemplation and meditation and prayer about God's desires for us. Forty days of fasting and prayer is a number that has significance throughout the Bible. Moses and Elijah both spent 40 days fasting and in seclusion. Forty is also a significant number as it shows how many years the Jews were in the desert on their way to the promised land. There's a lot of parallel in Matthew with those early stories in Moses coming out of Egypt, praying on the mountains, teaching the people of who God truly is and constantly needing to redirect those people from their wandering ways. In this passage, the devil behaves much like a lawyer might. It is kind of his M.O. after all. The name Satan comes from the Hebrew word Satan, which means accuser or the questioner. And in this passage, he is doing just that. The devil's function here is that of a prosecuting attorney, not of something which Jesus needs to do physical battle. The way in which the tests are worded might entangle some of us. If you believe what you say you heard, you can do this, so why don't you prove you're telling the truth? If you are the Son of God, let God prove it. If you wonder if you imagined the whole thing, why don't you test it? Really, a better translation of this particular passage comes from the Common English. I read the uh, New Revised Standard, but the Common English phrases it a little different because it says, rather than saying if, as the New Revised says, the Common English, Satan says, since. Since you are the Son of God. Because make no mistake, Satan knew exactly who Jesus is. And God had just declared him as such just a few verses before. The first of the tests addresses hunger. In both the context of Jesus' own hunger and that of those who have experienced famine, turning a stone into bread is not really something that we would consider evil. Jesus' response to this test was not because the request was wrong or evil, but inadequate. One does not live on bread alone. Jesus' is, Jesus is calling is much greater than the fundamental human longing for bread. In the second test, according to Matthew, the different gospel writers swap the order of these. Jesus is shown all the kingdoms for a split second. All glory and authority would be his simply if he agreed to worship the devil. Oh, I have that wrong. Excuse me. Luke has them switched around. The context of such a temptation comes in the time when Rome really has the people in a pinch. Not only is the occupation of Rome a denial of God's sovereignty, but it is also an obstacle to the coming of God's promised reign of justice and peace. The way the devil sees it, Jesus is going to part the divine reign anyway, so surely the means of secondary are secondary to the end, and the theological details can be ironed out later. But Jesus responds with the first commandment, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. In a time 
when in such a foreign which in which such a foreign occupation and suffering it would have been easy to do what you could to get out of it rather than keeping your focus on God the third test is that of protection from God the devil tells Jesus that if he is is truly the son of God then surely the angels will stop stop and swoop down and protect him from even stubbing his toe. If Jesus would just jump off the temple in the middle of a bustling city of Jerusalem and be saved by the angels, then no one could possibly deny that Jesus was exactly who God said he was. Any question of Jesus' credibility would be solved. Jesus' response is again from the Hebrew scriptures, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Not only that, but a public relations stunt such as that would contradict the Gospels, as we are reminded through our Ash Wednesday readings, to not pray and fast in such a way that distracts us from the glory of God. Satan, the tempter, the adversary of Jesus, the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, the same spirit of God that came down like a dove in Jesus' baptism. The same baptismal spirit led him into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. And we are confronted with the spirit as the spirits made known to us, being made aware of where God is calling us. And it seems to automatically create the temptation to do the opposite. The Spirit is not telling us, okay, it's your turn to be tempted, but rather in the midst of baptism, as a way of love and grace for all, we become aware of what it means to follow Jesus. We are shown the path through Christ, and through that baptism, the wrong path is also illuminated, and thus becomes the temptation. In our baptism, we no longer get to plead ignorance of the law, meaning through our baptism, when we are faced with temptation, we can no longer say that we didn't know better. Something that was said to me a lot when I was a kid, I won't admit to why, was no, you knew what was right and you chose not to do it. It was a sick burn for a kid, and even also as an adult. So often we know what is, right, what is the right thing to do, but we choose not to do it because we are tempted to follow the path that leads to power, not the path that leads to Christ. There are three temptations in this passage, bodily pleasure slash meeting immediate needs, enormous power, and immortality. These things are presented almost glorified by Satan, and Jesus chooses the other path. The things that Satan points to are all the paths of empire. Controlling bread, death, and power, that is the power of empire and of earthly and human things. Each of these temptations also directly pointing to the corruption of Rome and the puppet kings like Herod of the time. 
These emperors and kings were building palaces and towns, naming them after themselves, building fortresses, and were all very concerned about preserving their own lives and their own reputations, to the point that King Herod had John the Baptist killed because of some drunkenness, a spoiled daughter, and an angry wife. Because John had spoken out about Herod marrying his brother's wife. Jesus, as the Son of God, is someone who is not interested in surviving for survival's sake, and not interested in having any bodily wants, not interested in an all-consuming power. This is the Son of God, and he knows a better way. These are not just temptations for people or Jesus, but for the church as well. These are temptations to become like God. The temptation to attempt the miraculous, the temptation of spectacle, the temptation of political power. The way that happens is when a church presents a theology that promises glory without sacrifice, that focuses on Easter without paying attention to Good Friday. It is a church that celebrates the resurrection but ignores the crucifixion. It is a promise of cheap grace. It is a church that buys into the ecclesiastical cult of celebrity and putting someone up so high on a pedestal that people start to forget that there is only one Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Each temptation leads down a path that is offered to all of us, the temptation to deviate from the holy path of God into a realm of power and prestige. We have entered into Lent, which is a time of discernment. In the ancient time, Lent was also used as a time to prepare new believers for their baptism that would take place at Easter. We are in a time where we can really strengthen our relationship with God and with others. Lent can, also, can lead down some seemingly dark roads as we really look inside and make sure that we are following the call that God has put on our lives. It can sometimes be awkward and painful to realize that what we've been working for are actually against God's ideas for us. And so during Lent, we start to course correct. We start to gather ourselves and point ourselves back toward God. Just as in these moments immediately following Jesus' baptism, there is temptation waiting for us after Easter. What will be waiting to tempt us after we finished, after we have finished? our time in annual discernment. What is waiting for us on the other side of Easter? Will we be able to keep our focus on the path given to us by Jesus Christ, or will we, will, will we fall victim to the temptations of the Satan and allow ourselves to fall back into our old habits? Will we work with one another or against one another? I suppose time will tell, but I know what is hoped for by our resurrected Christ, by our creator, and by our advocate, 
I hope that at the end of the 40 days of Lent, we have been able to refocus ourselves toward the kingdom of God, and we will be able to get down to the ministry of the church. My greater hope is that we can start building that ministry and repairing our relationships well before we reach Easter Sunday.